Our gospel today comes from the book of Matthew. I will preface by saying this as we come to these last couple weeks of our uh, calendar year in the church before Advent begins. We come to these end of times texts. We come to these texts that talk about the second coming of Christ. And today's gospel is a difficult gospel in that it is one with words that can be terrifying to some. But that is why we are called to listen in. So the gospel today comes from the book of Matthew. And we respond, glory to you, O Lord. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said to the disciples, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We do not know the hour or the time in which it will come. March 17th, 2020, 2020, I remember us calling an ad hoc council meeting, trying to navigate, trying to decide as phones were ringing off the hook here at the church, what are we going to do as COVID is coming and CNN and Fox News and they're telling us the world is shutting down, what are we going to do? For a couple hours we sat there in the church basement listening to each other, talking. What I didn't know that was happening on the outside over at Walmart and Dakota Mart was the toilet paper shelves going empty. Because the end of the world is coming, we say. We need our toilet paper, amen? We can laugh now. We can look back at it now and chuckle. But what's fascinating is in 2020, we weren't chuckling. Were we prepared? What do we prepare with? Bullets, toilet paper, fill in the blank with whatever it is needs. It's fascinating to me on my YouTube feed, I I, I try to stay away from social media as, as much as possible these days, except YouTube. YouTube is where you can learn pretty much everything, amen? And I have never once, never once have I put in the search bar end of times prophecies or end of times scripture. But right now my feed is just ripe with 
all of these different preachers and teachers from all different backgrounds trying to explain to me, a pastor over in Pierce, South Dakota, about how we interpret Israel and the war with Palestine, how we interpret the politics of what's going on, and how we need to be prepared for the world to come to an end. I promise you this, I promise you every single day we are closer to the second coming. There is truth in that. What does it mean to be prepared? This morning we have a gospel that is one of the most difficult gospel lessons for us preachers to preach because if we read it at face value, if we read it in a prescriptive way, some of us are going to leave here terrified, wondering, am I truly prepared? Is my lamp trimmed? Do I have oil in my lamp? And what do I need to do to get more oil? And I'm going to pause with that because I guarantee that is the mindset already happening in some of our minds. But I want us to pause there for a moment and get back into the context of our, of our parable this morning. As I said a couple weeks ago, the parables between Jesus and the Pharisees on the Temple Mount have come to an end. And after those conversations, after those debates about Jesus declaring what God is coming to do and defining what the kingdom of God is going to look like, he turns himself away from the debates with the Pharisees and the temple high priests anymore, and he's now focusing in on his last will and testament with his disciples. And they are wondering, in in chapter 24 is when Jesus starts in these end-time prophecies, so to speak. He talks about what it is, what is going to transpire in the world as the time gets closer. But we must remember that even Jesus himself says, he does not know when that time is to come, only the Father knows. But he gives us this beautiful parable that just makes our guts turn. It starts again like this. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Already what we hear is this beautiful imagery of a wedding. And when Jesus gives us the parable of the wedding, he knows that his disciples and the other listeners are going to cling in right on those words because all throughout their childhoods, as they were mastering scripture, as they were in the synagogues, hearing the scrolls read, time and again the prophets, specifically Isaiah and Jeremiah, compare Christ, the Messiah, the Savior as the bridegroom. And his followers, that will later be called the church in Paul's letters, are the bride. And we too are the bride and the bridesmaids. Now guys, get over it. We are in the context of this parable metaphor. We too are the bride. The church is the bride that's about to be wedded to the bridegroom. And so as Jesus gives us this parable, there's already this hint of a celebration that's about to happen. Now, for those of us that read this parable and think that what we're talking about is those who are of the church and those who are of the unchurched, actually, that is already missing the point. Set that aside. Jesus might almost give the connotation that the unchurched or those that have no connotation of the gospel are already separated from the flock. And I know that sounds painful, but right here when we dive in, who Jesus is talking to, he's talking to all of his followers. He's not even talking about those who aren't following. He's talking about his bridesmaids. So to already set the playing field to be a level playing ground, he's pointing out that we have ten of the bridesmaids. Out of those ten, 
They are all honored to be a part of that party. They are already meeting the qualifications to be a part of the celebration. And not just attendance as guests, they are in the wedding party. How many of us have been in a wedding party at some point in our lives? It's a beautiful thing, sort of. It can also be painful in some respects. But it's an honor, nonetheless. So we have the ten bridesmaids. They are there. Jesus clearly points out that five of them have extra oil with them. Five of them have brought just what they thought they would need, not knowing that they might need more. They've come with their torch. They've come with their little clay pot pot lamp. They've, They've come with their lamp with the oil that's in it, but they aren't prepared for anything beyond that. They already have in their mind what it is that they think that they need. They already have in their mind what, is, uh, what will suffice to meet the groom. Now some of us are just trying to get around the point of why is it that this wedding is starting at midnight? Well, again, contextually, the Jewish wedding is very different than ours. You know, here we make you sign the contract in agreement that your wedding's going to be scheduled by 3 o'clock and no later than because the praise team has to get ready for Saturday night worship and you're going to confide that wedding within that hour-long space and then you're going to go out on the concrete steps, get your final photos, and you're on your merry way. Amen? Welcome to an American Christian wedding, right? In the Jewish wedding, it actually started in the evening. And actually what got to take place is that the bridesmaids... And the bride would actually come to the groom's house. They would be waiting. They would be waiting for that moment when finally the groom arrives. I know it's kind of odd because in our tradition, it's all about the bride. I can't tell you how many groomsmen I smile and I say, but you don't worry, you're going to look handsome today. It's going to be great, but no one cares, right? They're going to chuckle and say that you are handsome. Your mom's going to like it. It's going to be great. But everyone, all eyes are fixed on the bride. But in the Jewish culture, the bridesmaids, the bride, the family, they come to the groom's house. And then finally, the announcement is made that the groom has arrived. He has come out. And what do they do? They begin to dance. They process all throughout the town. That is why they have the lamps in the evening. It's a festival of lights. It comes completely back into their religious tradition in giving thanks for the light of God in the darkness. And they process all throughout the town with the bridesmaids leading the way with their lamps, giving light into the dark alleys as the bride, as the groom, and all of the family come together in celebration, and they come back to the house, and they feast, not for an hour, not for five hours, for seven days. I know, fathers of the groom, start saving. I mean, sorry, fathers of the bride, start saving. Seven days of celebrating, to which at the end, in all of religious Jewish tradition, the the gentleman who would serve as uh, as the best man, he finally takes the hand of the groom. He finally takes the hand of the bride. He places her hand in his, And he says, go and bless this marriage. Go consummate it. And that is where your imaginations shut off. And that is when wedding, marriage, begins. 
So knowing that context, knowing why we have ten bridesmaids, why we have the ten lamps, why we have this evening occasion, what we cannot wrap our heads around is why did they wait till midnight? Only God knows. But what happens is they begin to drift off to sleep. And that is where the metaphor shifts into our lives. Notice that in Jesus' parable, he is not saying that we're not going to drift off asleep. That we're not going to become exhausted at points in our lives. There are times in our life while we are waiting for that bridegroom to return, while we are waiting for Christ to return, in which we become exhausted. Amen? We become exhausted. From the day we enter into that marriage life, we are exhausted as we raise the children. We are exhausted in trying to be in devotion and struggle with the Word of God, and yet sometimes not making sense of it as we look at the world around us. We become exhausted as we enter into different chapters of life of empty nesting and trying to redefine what does it mean. I tried to raise my children the best that I can, and now that they're gone, now that they're independent, what, I, what do I do? How do I find purpose? What is my identity in that? And it's exhausting. And then we become exhausted as we retire and we continue to go through these chapters. And Lord, you haven't come yet. So I continue on my merry way. I continue with my lamp. And, and the flame sometimes in my life is growing dim. Sometimes the flame starts to dwindle when tragedy strikes. When loved ones are ripped out of our lives or a diagnosis is given and the bottom seems to drop out, we grow weary, exhausted, tired. Because we're just waiting for that bridegroom to return. We're waiting for the celebration to come that the preachers for eons have been preaching about. Suddenly, the host of hosts, he shouts out, the bridegroom is going to come. Five of them, they're awakened from their sleep, and five were wise because they had extra oil. But the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil. What I love about this word, foolish, is in the Greek, the, the Greek word for foolish. Uh, foolish is uh, palpable. The English translators throughout different uh, translations have given us the word foolish to make it sound a little bit more politically correct and nice. The truth is in Greek it comes from the word blakos and also which gets translated into the word moros which also is where we get the baseline for the word moron. Trust me, Matthew wasn't shy. He said there were the five wise that came prepared and there were five morons that were not. We don't like that. It sounds a little crass. But in the context of the parable, that's exactly what Matthew is saying. The wise, however, they took their oil and jars along with them. The bridegroom was long in coming, and they all became the drowsy, and they fell asleep. And at midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out, meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. And instead, go, go sell some oil. Go, go sell some of your, your belongings and buy some more oil for yourselves. But while they were there on their way to buy the oil, 
the bridegroom shows up. What Jesus is getting at is being prepared when the bridegroom shows. In our lives, in our tradition, maybe we say that what we have is we have five bridesmaids prepared. We have five Christians prepared. We have five bridesmaids that aren't. We have five Christians that aren't. And, and I think inside of our minds, subconsciously, we're wondering, why did Matthew, why did Jesus, those red letters in our Bible that Jesus says, why did he say five and five? Because I'd be a lot more comfortable if he said nine bridesmaids were prepared and one was not. Amen? Because if we, those of us that have some ounce of mathematician in our, hot, in our heads, uh, that gives us a 90% chance of being one, the ones that are prepared. 90% is a lot better than 10%, amen? Jesus, why didn't you say 8 and 2? Why didn't you say 7 and 3? Why didn't you say 6 and 4? Jesus says 5 were ready and 5 were not. I don't like the odds of that one. The truth of the matter is, there's Christians all over the world that are Christian in name, but maybe not Christian in preparedness. And that's hard to swallow. There are all ten bridesmaids there worthy of being present, but only five are truly prepared, and five are not. We live in a time where we have people with PhDs in theology, but it doesn't mean they were prepared. I remember one of my closest mentors, he once told me, he said, Pastor Craig, he said, it is absolutely necessary for you to be the theologian of your congregation. But he also reminded me, he said, but let me remind you that you can have all the theology in the world, but without hearing the good news, without giving the good news, theology doesn't save you. There are pastors, there are bishops, but their oil has run dry. We aren't any less prepared in some instances. This goes back into the chapters that Jesus had been giving us time and again. A parable like this reminds us of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the darnel, the weeds. This parable gives us hints at the sheep versus the goats. This parable gives us hints of what it means to be prepared versus the ill-prepared. And, and what happens, what, we, what comes next is what we really do not like when we hear this parable. What we have is while those five bridesmaids are off getting oil for their lamps because they didn't come prepared with enough, the bridegroom, he shows up. And what do they do? They begin to party. They begin to celebrate. The time has come, and there they are ushered in, and the doors are shut. And as those five bridesmaids return, as they have spent their lives trying to figure out exactly the perfect theology, exactly the best works, as they have uh, spent all of their time figuring out all of the right ways to have justice and righteousness in our eyes, in our lamps, we have missed the point that the oil in the lamps is not something that you can earn. The oil the oil in the lamps is something that we have. The oil in the lamps is your faith. It is your faith. Today, Jalen gets that oil granted to him at those waters. 
That faith is given. Mom and Dad, I charge you. I know you picked a great day to pick a baptism. I charge you to keep him prepared each and every week of his life. Parents, grandparents, sponsors, godparents, I, char I charge you to keep that oil prepared. And it's not something you earn or gain or do. It's something you hear. It's the faith in the word. It's the faith in God, in Christ's promises. To the unprepared, they come back. They come from that, back from the marketplace. And they knock on that door. Lord, 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 let us in. And maybe through the wood, they hear the voice of the Lord coming to meet them. They hear the voice of the groom coming to the doors. And the doors open. Let us in. And he says the words none of us want to hear. I do not know you. Go away. Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know when the day or the, die, or the time comes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the oil is your faith. The word faith means trust. Do we trust in the mercy of the groom standing before us? Do we trust in the promise of the groom standing before us? Are we prepared daily, weekly, with the reminder, the proclamation that that mercy is granted to all of us who need it? Do we trust it? Do we cling it? Do we hold on to it? Or do we go running to the market looking for what is not ours to be shared? Thanks be to God. Amen.